Well, good morning, church. I'm grateful to be with you this morning as we open up the scriptures. I cannot believe that we are one week away from Easter. Uh, we are continuing in our series that we're calling The Road to the Cross as we look at Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem, uh, setting his face uh, toward the cross, ultimately for our redemption, for our salvation, to purchase us back from sin uh, and from shame and to give us life and hope in his glorious resurrection. And so uh, next week we'll be celebrating that. And so uh, last Sunday, uh, we were looking at Jesus in the garden. And Jesus was essentially pleading with his father saying, God, if there is any other way, uh, would you please take this cup of suffering away from me? Uh, if there's any other way to redeem my people back, please take this cup away. But then he looks at his father in his unwavering mission uh, to do what the father had called him to do as his only begotten son. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is then betrayed by Judas. And then he's tried illegally in the dead of the night um, by the religious leaders and then they bring him the very first thing in the morning to the most powerful man in Jerusalem, uh, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And uh, John's gospel picks up here after the illegal midnight trial of the religious leaders because they want this Jesus gone. Uh, they bring him to Pilate and John's gospel picks up right here with Jesus being questioned by Pontius Pilate. Um, the Roman governor. John 18, 33, Pilate and Jesus are there in his headquarters. It says this, and so Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And in typical Jesus fashion here, Jesus answers Pilate, but he doesn't give him an, a direct answer. He kind of answers him in a backward sort of a way. And so he actually answers Pilate in the negative form of his question. And then he tells Pilate, so he tells him what, he, what he's not, and then he tells Pilate who he is. And so if you look at verse 36 in John 18, it says, Jesus answers Pilate, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so what Jesus is saying right here, he's saying, Pilate, you're right. I am a king. But my kingdom is not like the kingdom you're used to. It is not like the Roman Empire. My kingdom is not based on power. My kingdom is not based on wealth. My kingdom is not based on rank as you so are used to. My kingdom is something entirely different. My kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus stands here majestic, unwavering in front of the most powerful man representing the Roman Empire. And he says this as he continues, starting in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. And so here in this intense text, this 
back and forth between this powerful man, Pontius Pilate, and Jesus of Nazareth, something becomes very clear on the road to the cross. On a certain morning uh, prior to Passover, the Jewish leadership have come to the end of their patience with this rebellious man named Jesus who was healing people, who was ruffling the feathers of the religious elite. They get Judas, his friend, to sell him out for a few pieces of silver. They arrest him. They take him to Jewish headquarters. They illegally try him in the dead of the night while the rest of the world is sleeping. They have no way of punishing Jesus in the manner that they want to. And so they bring him to a man that's powerful enough to do to Jesus what they want done. Pontius Pilate, the most powerful Roman man in Jerusalem. And here's the accusation on the, in this trial. This man, Jesus, is an evildoer. And Pilate interrogates Jesus on the charge of him claiming to be a king. That's why he keeps asking him, are you a king? Because if you claim to be king other than Caesar, that's punishable by death. And Jesus' reply to the charge is, yes, I am a king, but I'm not the kind of king I'm accused of being. I'm not an insurrectionist. I'm not a threat to your power structure, to your uh, wealth, to your uh, Roman empire, to your Caesar. And Pilate's verdict is simple in John's gospel. He says this, this man is innocent. This man is guiltless. This man, Jesus, should be set free. John 18, 38, Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in this man. And so the logical question here at the end of chapter 18, as this dramatic story is unfolding, is this. Why didn't the trial just end right there? This man, Pilate, is the most powerful man in the Roman Empire, second to none, and he controls all legal processes. Why doesn't the trial just end? And the simple answer is this. God's plans trump our plans. His kingdom is not of this world. And so... All Pilate can do is the will of God willingly. God is in control, even when it seems like he's not. And so what does Pilate do? What Pilate does is this. He takes the most notorious prisoner that he has in Roman captivity. We don't know his name. His name is called this Barabbas, which sounds like a name, but it's not. Barabbas, if you remember in the story, in Greek, bar simply means son. In Arabis means father. Remember Jesus in the garden last week used a different form of the same word when he cries out to, to God as his father and he says, Abba, father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Abba, dad, daddy. It's this, it's this intimate form of the word father. And so here we see another form of that word, bar, Arabis, means he's a son of a father. So quite literally, he's a nameless, faceless man. Uh, could also be translated son of Adam just like you and I. And John, 
the gospel writes, writer, wants us to see this. He wants us to feel this. He wants us to, in fact, know that we could put ourselves right here. Barabbas, a son of the father, a son of Adam. And so Pilate takes this murderous insurrectionist, and then he takes the innocent declared Jesus, and he parades them in front of the crowds. And he says, which one should I release to you? Which one do you want to see go free? The innocent one? Or this nameless criminal? Do you want me to release the declared innocent Jesus of Nazareth? Or would you have me release this Jewish uh, murdering insurrectionist? The plot is building to a climax here. And now the obvious appeal is to release the innocent man. Pilate himself said, I find no guilt in this one. That would be the just thing to do. But here, as we read John's gospel, we see that there is no justice for the Son of God. And the Bible tells us that they scream out, give us Barabbas, release this son of Adam. A nameless, faceless man. A man facing and deserving of death for his crimes. Whatever this guy did, he is not a Roman citizen. We know that because Roman citizens never faced crucifixion. He's put in this inner sanctum of this prison waiting for his day of death to come. And his day came. And I can imagine Barabbas in that cell. Uh, He could hear the soldiers coming. And they're walking down probably this stone corridor, a long hallway, their swords uh, of the soldiers probably banging against their legs. And he must have heard the key being put in his cell door. And he must have thought, this is it. I know what I face. He would be uh, stripped naked of his dignity, removed from him. Barabbas, this criminal, knowing what awaits him, would be forced to carry on his back the very instrument of his torture and ultimate death, and he would be publicly placed on a very busy public highway. He knew, Barabbas knew that he would be labeled a criminal, and he would be brutally nailed to a cross. And for three days, he would suffer there before finally dying. He knew that was coming for him. And the soldiers came with swords and lanterns in this dark alley, in this dark hallway to get this guy. And they took him out of this labyrinth, out of this prison, fear gripping him. Barabbas knew he was doomed, but something remarkable happens. The soldiers did not give him a cross to bear. They did not give him his verdict. They gave him the exit. A thoroughly guilty person of the most horrible crimes is completely set free. Church, in this story, John wants us to see something. God in the scriptures wants us to know something, that you and I are Barabbas. We are condemned for crimes too many to tell. 
justly facing the worst of all judgments because of our sin and rebellion. Justly facing it. Because, but here, the most amazing thing happens. Christ the innocent is standing in our place by God's good plan. We are shown the exit. We're shown the exit. We're given a way out. We are given hope. Not on the basis of our own goodness. Do we find this? Not on the basis of us doing something right. Our verdict was already set. But someone else came and stood in our place, took our cross we deserved, took the suffering we deserved, and died, and in our stead gave us life and gave us new breath and gave us a new identity. Church, if Jesus had not taken Barabbas' place, there would be no hope for humanity. But on that day, the innocently declared Jesus who receives no justice, no mercy, takes Barabbas' place. The son of Adam, the nameless, faceless man that is you and I, on his road to the cross. And in a very simple but yet profound way, Jesus took our place. He was humiliated for us on the road to the cross. The innocent lamb of God could find no one to extend to him mercy. He could find no one to extend to him kindness. He could find no one to extend to him justice. Our king suffered in our place. And as Easter approaches, I want us to meditate on that incredible truth and reality. That we are Barabbas. Condemned yet set free. God, in his great love, sent his only begotten Son for us, his perfect, innocent, spotless Lamb of God, to take away our sin. And because of Christ, because he stood there in our place, we've been set free from our sin and condemnation and shame. We've been given life. We will by faith be welcomed into heaven as sons and daughters as the most of the Most High because Jesus, our great Savior, our Rescuer, our King. Let's pray and thank him this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that on the road to the cross, Lord, you did not shy away. We thank you that even in the most unlikely of circumstances where it seems like all hope is lost, you bring great hope and you bring even life and light in what seems like darkness and death. Thank you that you stood in our place. Thank you that you gave us a way out and that not only that, Lord, that you filled us with life and hope um, and you took the sting of death for us. And so as Easter approaches, Lord, I pray that we would meditate and worship you for your goodness, for what you've done for us. God, may the song that we're about to sing um, fill us with wonder and hope and worship because of our great Savior and substitute, Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.